Hi, and welcome back. So in this episode, we sit down with Lynn, who is a phenomenal person. She uses her platform TikTok to educate people about not only Native heritage, but her experiences as someone who has autism and Tourette's. What was growing up like? Um, just in general, I don't really know a difference between what it's like for like a stereotypically normal kid and what it was like for me because I I had difficulties making friends. I didn't understand how to communicate communicate with other kids. <laughs> I got made fun of, but that was just my normal, so I can't really pit it against anything else. I can't compare it against anything else. I mean, I was a weird kid. <laughs> I was definitely a weird kid as I was growing up. What would you like people or have like people to know about um, Tourette's and autism and maybe explain what they are? All right. So Tourette's is a neurological disorder characterized by physical and um, verbal tics, which are repetitive movements or vocalization <laughs> vocalizations. And um, what I wish people would know, it's not it's not all the stereotype makes it out to be. <laughs> Hi. A lot of times uh, Tourette's is stereotyped to be the cussing disorder, the comedic disorder, when a lot of times for most people it can just be small twitches, and a lot of times it's not cussing and it's not anger. It's just, it's way more normal than the media makes it out to be. It's certainly not fun, but it's definitely not the tragedy or the comedic genius that the media tries to portray it as. Um, autism, well, most people know what autism is. <laughs> Have a, hi, hey, basic understanding. It's a disorder that affects a person's thought process, communication, sensory issues, like sensory intake and development. And what I wish people would know is the same thing as I guess I said about Tourette's, that it isn't a tragedy, that a lot of times people with autism, <laughs> we're very highly intelligent and we don't want a cure we aren't looking actively looking for a cure we aren't actively living out a tragedy we are all very capable of joy and love and we aren't to be pitied that's what i'd want people to know <laughs> what was your experience being diagnosed with either of them so i actually do not remember being diagnosed with autism i was diagnosed as a very at a very young age um so i don't actually have as much experience with that <laughs> um the diagnosis was withheld from me until I was older, but, um, Tourette's, it was, I had a doctor who'd been a family friend, so I know my diagnosis is a little bit different. I had a doctor who was a family friend. All I can say about it really is, like, you have to be diagnosed by a neurologist for Tourette's, and it can be very difficult for a lot of people. A lot of my, <laughs> hey, a lot of my friends have had such a rough time with getting a diagnosis, especially autism, since there's so much stereotype and stigma surrounding it. Tourette's is a little more obvious, but autism, it's a process to be diagnosed with. Yeah, I've um, heard that, um, especially with women or, like, girls, they get, like, diagnosed a lot later because, say, the symptoms aren't as obvious or you just kind of think it's more of a normal thing to be, I don't know, a bit more introverted or it doesn't get questioned as much, which I think is definitely a... Um, a an issue and I think a lot of good things come out of being diagnosed and getting the right treatment especially when it comes to like primary schools and and the reasons for people's behavior mm -hmm. because 
masking the process of adopting features and uh features and what is it called behaviors that are more normal more neurotypical that's masking taking those behaviors and applying them to yourself autistic people do that girls are better at masking because like psychologically women have a bit of a higher need for social so a social life so do autistic women so in order to maintain a social life they will mask and masking makes it harder for doctors to see that autism and in early stages of autism testing it was only tested on men we don't really have much information we've only just now started testing and trying to see how it's different for women we barely have a grasp on the differences of well not barely but we don't have a good grasp on the differences between men and women with autism because we're just now starting to study it it not recently but in the beginning it wasn't even a possibility that women had autism and now we are realizing it totally is and that there is a huge difference and that needs to be explored yeah i was reading this article about how there's this whole generation of women who missed out in terms of being diagnosed because of the fact that like previously it was thought that only men could have autism yeah no yeah it's it's definitely an issue and it's left a lot of women going undiagnosed and un- oh hi you're a nerd oh. untreated uh and that's not good. <laughs> what were your, um, I guess, family and friends' reaction to like your Tourette's diagnosis? Uh, it it made a lot of sense. <laughs> it made a lot of sense. And I remember when I first when it first happened, it was so freeing for me because I got to tell people who, 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 who looked at me weird, who like were like, "What is she doing?" That I for sure could say, "I have Tourette's," like. You can't look at me weird. Up until then, it was like, ah, oh, you know, sometimes I twitch. Oh, sometimes I twitch sometimes. Yeah, I'm kind of a weirdo. And then I got to, like, look at people and be like, I have Tourette's. Like, this is my explanation for what's happening. I'm not just some weirdo who's twitching around and making noises, you know. I have a whole community of people who are just like me. So, obviously, you said prior that, like, you're diagnosis was a lot easier because you had like a family friend who was like a neurologist and stuff would you recommend that everyone gets a diagnosis or like what's your opinion on like self-diagnosis and stuff i totally think i totally think that um it is worth pursuing like a diagnosis is always worth pursuing because it can do nothing but provide information for you like you whether or not you get diagnosed with something you have that disorder whether or not it goes untreated you have that disorder so it's best to like strive for that diagnosis in my personal opinion strive for that diagnosis because that way it opens up accommodations it opens up a community it opens up other new information and resources so i think it's just i mean for for people who don't want to get labeled i totally understand that it's each to their own but honestly, to people who are scared of getting a diagnosis just because they don't want their life to change much, you are going to have that disorder, whether you are diagnosed, whether it's written on paper or not, and you might as well have the resources that come with the diagnosis. So I think diagnoses are inherently ha, the bad thing a lot of people imagine them to be, you know? Mm. Yeah, I think... Um in terms of treatment, in terms of like school as well, getting the teaching that you need. Um, it's definitely um, a good thing. I think the the thing that people fear about diagnos- 
being diagnosed as well is like the social reaction to it so um does would you say that anyone's behavior towards you changes or like has changed after you informed them of your disabilities a lot (laughs) a lot of my friends it's my Tourette's thing a lot of my friends like knew everyone knew I was taking up a storm all the time so it was it didn't a lot of people were more understanding it didn't really change negatively when I was like hey I have Tourette's they weren't like oh ew because they knew but I was able to say look at them and say I have Tourette's the whole autism diagnosis when I realized that I stopped masking as much because I realized I didn't need to I realized I didn't need to cover up being weird I wasn't weird. I was needed to start being myself. I needed to start taking care of myself. And self-care for autistic people is letting go of that mask. So I started letting go of that mask. And a lot of people started thinking I was acting more autistic just because I found out. And I was like, no, I'm just acting like myself. I'm letting myself let go. I'm letting myself be. And so a lot of people, a lot of times when an autistic person receives a diagnosis... They often stop masking, and a lot of times friends and family might be like, hey, you're acting off. It's like, no, I've been acting off. This is me not being weird. This is me not being, like, pent up. I got a lot of backlash from my dad, who was just kind of like, I don't know. He was just like, you you never seemed to hate being touched before. I was like, oh, I did. I just didn't know it wasn't normal, you know? It, there's def- ha, two, definitely two different reactions from the Tourette's and the autism. Um, what would you say your daily experience with Tourette's syndrome and autism is like? I, once again, I can't really compare... Shut up, shut up. I'm sorry. I can't really compare it to anything else, you know? I, like, I. this is how I've grown up. I can barely remember what it was like when I wasn't, you know, constantly moving around and stuff. My biggest thing is just sometimes <laughs> Tourette's can make it hard to, like, carry on a conversation smoothly because I'll start ticking really bad or I'll, like, just toss things around. For Tourette's, I've just adjusted my way of life. I don't hold sharp things in my hand for longer than I have to. I don't hold mugs for longer than I have to. I, um, I've learned to skip over my ticks in my head while I'm talking. I just ignore them. I uh, never stand somewhere where if my leg goes out, I'm going to fall and tumble and fall, you know? Like, it's, it's, it's just such a subconscious adjustment in my head <laughs> in my head that I don't even realize I'm doing it a lot of the times, you know? And for autism, it's just, I, I, I have to take care of myself a lot more than I think a lot of other people do. I have to be more self-aware of myself. With When you're autistic, you always have to be checking in with yourself because a lot of times you struggle with knowing what's going on inside your own head. Am I hungry? Am I thirsty? Am I cold? You have to manually ask yourself that a lot of the time. So that's, I think, that's my biggest issue is manually asking myself, am I okay? Like, running self-checks and stuff like that. Birdie! What is the difference between stimming and ticks? And does one trigger the other? <laughs> Alright, so ticks don't really serve a purpose birdie like like saying birdie um i'm not saying it for any reason it's just what my neurons were like we're gonna say this i guess you know stems everybody stems everybody stems if you've tapped your finger if you've hummed a beat you are stimming 
Um, but for autistic people, it serves as a form of communication. It serves as, serves as a form of self-regulation, emotional regulation. Ticks don't have a purpose, and they are compulsory, or however you say it. It's not exactly a compulsion. It's not OCD. It's like a physical urge or compulsion. There's no real way to describe it, but they don't serve a purpose. <laughs> However, stems serve to regulate my emotions, regulate my sensory input, communicate with people around me how I'm feeling, you know. So they sometimes a, something about one of my stems can ooh, turn into a tick, and sometimes a tick can become a stem, but they are different things. Um, so in regards to your ticks, do you have any specific things that you say? Or, like, have you noticed any patterns? Because it can, like, vary from person to person. Do I tick the same things, Harry asked? Oh, birdie! Are you asking? So actually, that is a symptom of Tourette's. People with Tourette's, their ticks walk, birdie, like that thing, will often be the same thing over and over again. Uh, for months, I had a tick where I'd yell some form of get off of me or get your hands off of me. I went to Hawaii a free few years ago and we went there for two weeks. And for some reason, one of my only vocal tics was the word fruitcake. There's no backing behind it, but it is repetitive, which is another reason it gets confused for stems because mm, mm, stems are also repetitive, but tics are repetitive too. Usually with a person with Tourette's, there's identifiable tics. Like, I'll call, like, um, my get-off-me tick. Like, it's my get-off-me tick because it happens over and over again. Yeah, um, what would you say, I mean, I guess if you've never really known anything different, it would be hard to describe, but in your words, what does it feel like to have a tick or experience, like, a tick attack? So, <laughs> I once heard a tick, I once heard somebody describe it as your um, nervous system is sneezing. <laughs> It's a physical feeling, and I always, my best, you're a nerd. My best description is, like, when you have an itch, sometimes it is so subconscious that you go to itch it without thinking about it. I bet half the time you have an itch, you don't realize because you scratch it before you, you even process it. Mm. But sometimes you feel that itch before it, and you have to manually itch it. And sometimes, if you're in a position where you can't, you just have to sit there and the itch is getting worse and worse and worse and worse, but you can't scratch it because you're not in a position where you can. That's what a metaphor I can relate Tourette's to. I'm not saying it feels like an itch, but I'm saying that's the best I can do to relate what it's like. Because <clears throat> a lot of people are like, can you control it? I'm like, yeah, but a lot of the time it just subconsciously happens before I even process the urge. Unless I'm in a position where I can't tick and then that urge grows and builds up. So that's what I'd say it's like to tick. It's just, it's this physical urge but not in it's so hard to explain me and my friends who, who, who have Tourette's have tried talking about this and we all are all like this is not something that's explainable <laughs> it's just very hard so the best I can give you is that itching metaphor what is ableism and would you say that uh, you've been directly affected by it oh hi oh yeah yeah um ableism is they be the belief, whether conscious or subconscious, that disabled people are not at the same level or cannot be at the same level or are less than able-bodied people or able-minded. And it, of course, it's personally affected me. I've been recorded in public. I've been talked down to. I've been called slurs. Like, <laughs> it, it does affect me. And a lot, 
a lot of it, most of ableism is very subconscious. It's subconscious beliefs about disabled people. Like, a lot of people who support Autism Speaks are well-meaning, but it's ableist. It's supporting Autism Speaks as ableist because it portrays autism as a curable disease. And of course, the people who are supporting it mean well, but it's ableist to think, oh, oh, to think a disability is a disease, you know? So it's subconscious, and the subconscious is what hurts the most, because it's not something you can, like, directly call somebody out for, like, hey, you called me a slur, that's bad, and everyone around you will agree. Subconscious ableist, ableism is harder to tackle, because you have to tackle the systems. You have to tackle people's mindsets, what they are raised to believe, what the media portrays. So I think subconscious ableism is definitely more dangerous, but both subconscious and conscious are everywhere, and they have both have affected me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it comes back to this, the idea with, like, that you shouldn't think of a lot of the time that disability, it, like, it doesn't take away from someone. It, like, adds to their character. I am, a lot of times I like to say, I am not living a good life despite the fact that I'm disabled. I'm living a good life while being disabled, you know? Yeah, I was, so, I mean, obviously I'm on TikTok a lot, hence why I, like, know who you are. Um, But one, another, um, another person who has autism, who is a TikToker, um, was talking about the differences between, like, the social model of disability versus, like, the medical model of disability with, like... Uh, Anna? Yeah, I think so. I'm friends with her. We've had, we've FaceTimed before. She's lovely. Lovely. (laughs) Yeah, but I think it's an interesting idea, depending on, like, which one you stand for or believe in, whoever. Yes, because the medical model of disability places the blame of disability onto from my understanding of it, I could very much be wrong, but I think I've watched the same videos as you, puts the blame on the disabled person. Where with a disability like autism, I really think the social model of disability really works better. It's saying, hey, this is disabling because you guys have such a strict rule of what is right and wrong, what is good and bad, what is normal and not, that it is putting so much pressure on the people who can't fit into it, that we have higher suicide rates, that we have higher illness, mental illness rates. Like, it's, I think the social model of disability really fits well for, like, especially autism and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, I think also when, even when you, like, look at other disabilities, so for example, um, people who end up being, like, wheelchair-bound in, like, London, when you go to train stations, a lot of them just don't have lifts. There's a whole population of people that are being, like, missed out. That is, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. And it's, a lot of times people complain about it. They're like, you're asking us to accommodate for you. And it's like, disabled people spend most of their times, oh, hi, trying to accommodate other people. I have spent a good 16 years of my life trying to accommodate for other people's needs, be nice, uh, follow this social rule despite not understanding it so other people are comfortable. And a lot of times people don't realize that it's so behind the scenes that when abled people are asked to accommodate they get frustrated and they get angry because they don't realize that we've been doing it for them for so long do you think that as a country america has a good system in place to support those with a disability and if not how would you change it it's certainly not the worst i'm not gonna say it's the worst there are at least systems in place i always like to acknowledge progress but I I don't think it's taken seriously enough. Uh, The police don't have training to handle people with disabilities. 
um, mm-hmm. people with disabilities, if their bank account goes over $2,000, they get their, from what I know, this is what I've heard, they, they get their disability check taken away. It, the, the, the system of disability, disability payment keeps disabled people in poverty. In America, it works to keep disabled people in poverty. A lot of times if a disabled person gets married, they lose their benefits. So a lot of times disabled people can't get married. So I'm, it's not the best. But it's not the worst because at least there are those systems in place. But I really do think every day we should be taking strides to move forward. I don't remember what year it was, but I think it was for the Americans with Disabilities Act. that They were considering not passing it. So people in wheelchairs got out of their wheelchairs and crawled up the steps of the White House. If that is what I remember, I could be wrong. But I think it was to pass the Americans with Disabilities Act. And of course they did it. We have the act. It took disabled people crawling up the white house to get recognition you know so i still think there are strides to be made but at least those systems are in place what about your school would you say that it has been like supportive for needs it's really an individual teacher basis ha! there was another because with Tourette's a lot of times as you get older you grow shut up you grow out of it a little bit it gets a lot better as you get older a lot more minimal so there's this one teacher who I'm, in my school who I'm pretty sure had Tourette's or still has it. Because sometimes he blinks really forcefully like he's having a tick. And I was being harassed for having tics. People in my class would start pretending to spaz. And when I'd ask just to trigger my tics, because seeing another person tick triggers my tics, even if it's fake. So they'd spaz to trigger my tics. And when I'd ask them to stop, they'd be like, what? It's just my Tourette's, obviously mocking me and not believing me. None of the teachers really did anything about it in, except that one teacher who I think has Tourette's because he mm-hmm. understood. Only when it personally affected the teacher did he really step up. My school has definitely stepped up. They definitely have accommodations. They definitely help me. They're very good about it. But the kids, <laughs> they suck. And sometimes my teacher will just say something. I'm like, you really don't know that much. I've had teachers ooh, ooh, try and explain Tourette's to me. And I'm like, no, that's not how this works. (laughs) Not the worst. Like I said, not the worst. They definitely are trying. I don't think they're used to having people like me in the school. It's a very tiny school, but they're trying. So I'd give it that. It's mostly the students that are a bother. What type of like accommodations do you get in school? I am able to leave the room for tests because so I don't. That one's more for other people. So I don't bother other people who are taking tests, my tics. Um... And I, because of my tick attacks, if I feel one coming on, I am able to leave a room and go to the nurse's office because my tick attacks go away, get pretty bad. So I'm able to leave a room. I'm able to leave a room for testing and tick attacks. And it's, yeah, I can't really remember anything else. I used to have accommodations for ADHD, but they took me off of those because they said my grades were good enough, which I don't really understand. My grades are good because I'm on the accommodations. (laughs) Why take me off of them? But it hasn't been much of a bother, so... Yeah, I think with that, it it comes back to the idea that if someone is somehow disabled, they can't be successful, which is just so that that I think even in even in London, like if you have too high an income, then you like lose some of your not even privileges, but like um, disability allowances. Yeah, disability allowances. And that's just something that shouldn't because it's not like something that suddenly doesn't affect you anymore. Like, yeah, it's like. It's like if somebody has, oh, 
asthma and they start taking asthma medications and they don't have an asthma attack and they're like, wow, I didn't have an asthma attack. Guess I better get off that medicine because I don't need it anymore. No, you're not having attacks because you're on the medication. So that's what happens a lot. Like kids with ADHD will have accommodations and their grades will get really good and then they're taken off the accommodations. It's like it, the system's clearly working. It's not, oh, you're suddenly not disabled anymore because you're smart now. No, it's we've given you the systems you need to channel yourself and reach your full potential. You should be able to keep those. Um, do you think that during the pandemic, the government has neglected to support people with disabilities? I'm not 100% sure about that. I haven't heard about any extra support for disabled people. So I could be wrong, but I don't think they're doing much of anything, really. <sighs> don't know if that's pretty good or bad. It's probably bad. It's America. Um. <laughs> You guys are just watching us go like, oh my gosh, what's, are they okay? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know everything that's happening over there, but apparently they thought a pandemic was the right time to start questioning um, LGBTQ uh, rights. And then I was like, wow. I, what was it? There's my fa- one of my favorite TikTokers. She is a struggling addict or something. She like is struggling with alcoholism. She's getting sober. And she made a video just going, I have picked the worst time to get sober. And I was like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Do you think that society should do more to accommodate people with disabilities? And if so, like, do you have any ideas of like what, of how? Absolutely. Education. More education and uplifting disabled voices. A lot of times people try and, um, oh, hi, help disabled people and end up speaking over them. The simplest explanation I can do is my, I'm just going to use an uh, example of my mom. My mom's fantastic. My mom's amazing. I love her so much. She's been very supportive, but sometimes, of course, like everybody does, she messes up. Not like everybody like messes up with this specifically, but she's human. She's made mistakes. Um, oh, oh, she uh, works with a lot of clients and stuff like that. She's a real estate agent. And so she'll invite people over to the house to like talk, have like lunch or something. And she, I'll start ticking. And before I can say anything, my mom goes, Oh, that's Lynn. She has she has Tourette's. She just yells sometimes. And it was nice. It was a nice gesture. She didn't want me to be embarrassed. But by doing that, she was speaking over me. She never gave me a chance to explain myself in a way I felt comfortable. It was, mm-hmm. oh, she has Tourette's. She yells sometimes. I never got to say, hi, I have Tourette's. I have vocalizations and uncontrollable movements, you know? I never got to mm-hmm. explain myself. There was never that 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 feeling of control over the situation. Oh. Of course, she's sent, I've since talked to her. We've had a healthy discussion. It's gotten better. But that's just an example of it. A lot of times, people perceive disabled people to be weaker, to be stupider, to be less able. Because <laughs> they're disabled. That, yeah. <laughs> um, and they feel the need to speak over them. When it is disabled people that will always be able to explain their situation the best. There's nobody else in the world who is in that person's head. And so unless that person has really specifically said, you're allowed to speak for me, or the person is literally not able to speak for themselves, there is not a reason to not uplift the voice of the person. Like, and it's, it ties like the Black Lives Matter movement. A lot of people, a lot of white people or people, non-black people are trying to insert themselves into the narrative as this hero. Mm-hmm. When you should, you should be repeating what black people have been saying, uplifting black voices, 
donating to the like fundraisers, you know, like reposting videos of what black people have been saying for years now, <laughs> saying what they've been saying, having the conversations, not inserting yourself into the narrative because it's not about you. Mm. And the same thing goes for disabled voices. I know people want to help, but how you can help is you can clear the path for disabled people to talk by repeating what we've been saying and then pointing people towards us. I have people all the time who try and talk about Tourette's. They say something about Tourette's. They're like, hey, that's a common myth. Lynn's Rins is a good TikToker to look to. That is how you handle it. That is, you say, repeat something that we've been saying, talk about facts, but don't make it about you. Then direct people towards disabled voices. I also think there's like a massive difference between if, say, that's also why, um, like, education about different, I mean, like, we have, like, PSHC, but, like, when, when you learn about, like, I don't know, um, just life, I don't know what you do. Life stuff, yeah, life stuff. It, it's a lot more impactful, or, like, you, it sinks in a bit more, I don't know, like, unconsciously. Like, if you, if you talk to a disabled person about, and, and hear their first-hand account, and, like, you know you're getting one reliable and like true information and to like just unconsciously you're gonna have more respect than like if someone's reading off a powerpoint that's why and that's what i think education really lacks is that kind of social interaction that makes the difference between people's biases because like uh it's the same thing with when i consider like what people could do to like try and eliminate racial bias in the police it's it's not necessarily okay make them sit in a classroom and like do work about how uh, not to discriminate about people although they should also do that but i think it would also just be really valuable to make them do like community service in a majority minority area like i don't know it's it's the exposure to the people and that's why i think like living in london just you look at other people who, who are racist and you're like i could never understand that because we've been around all these people and we just the exposure to them makes you know that everyone is human at the core and like you don't I don't know <laughs> I don't understand like some biases people have against things but yeah I just if that can be part of the curriculum I, I don't know I think it can make some sort of impact absolutely yeah it's, it's it's not that disabled people don't want able people to speak we will always use our allies we will always need yeah people speaking for us a lot of times the only reason certain movements have ever gotten fire have ever gotten heat behind them is because people helped us along the way but it's one thing to help and it's one thing to overpower these voices because a lot of times person first language where they're like a person with autism most autistic people don't like that phrasing actually but abled people think oh but it sounds so bad because of this reason and i know you're saying it's not but I think it does, so I'm going to say it is. That is inserting yourself in a space you don't need to be inserting yourself in. doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what you think. It's If a disabled person, if disabled people are telling you this is not right, it is not your place to say, yes, it is. So I think that's what we could do, be doing better for disabled people. <laughs> hi, hi. We can be opening, able people could be opening themselves up for education and criticism. What's your opinion on um, autism therapies like ABA? I read this question and I got a little fired up. (laughs) I know, I'm going to start a disclaimer because I know a lot of ABA therapists follow me. And um, uh, respect for the people who genuinely want to do a difference. 
make a difference. But ABA was founded on the idea. I can I can't get the creator's exact words, but the idea of what he was saying was there is a person inside this autistic person. We just need to bring them out. It was the idea that autistic people are blank slates and you need to build a person by suppressing the autistic characteristics, by denying the autistic characteristics. From I've never been an ABA, but from what I've heard from people who have been, it, it works on replacing autistic behaviors with normal behaviors, which is just masking. It is professionally teaching autistic people how to mask, and that leads to meltdowns. When I think autistic therapies, I think what would be best is coping mechanism. When people say early intervention for autism, they shouldn't be meaning early intervention to make them look and act the way I want them to, but more so early intervention because autism comes with a lot of comorbids. That autism comes with a lot of depression and anxiety sometimes, so how can we tackle that before that comes an issue? You know? Like, that's what I think. And I know not all ABA therapy is that bad anymore, but the foundation of it is suppress autistic traits, make the good ones happen, you mm -hmm. know? Because there's this idea that if you're acting autistic, if you're not acting neurotypical, then you're not okay. But autistic behaviors aren't necessarily bad behaviors. You're not badly controlled. You're not sick. You're not twisted. You're not broken. If you're acting autistic, you're different. There is no need to fix behaviors that aren't inherently broken. Like a kid's, like parents will see that their kid is acting more neurotypical and be like, oh, they're doing so well. You don't know that. You're gouging, gauging how they are based on how well they act neurotypical. And that isn't an actual gauge on how happy they are. Once again, I know not all ABA therapists are like this. I think they're reforming ABA. I think that's perfect. But we have to remember the roots and the foundation. We have to make an effort to stray away from those foundations. Yeah, definitely. Do you think that raising awareness um, actively promotes change? I think that plenty of people are aware that autism threats exist. I think it is time to educate. I think awareness does bring a lot of change, but it is time for that change to be definitive and positive. That people, we don't just bring awareness that this is an issue, that it's not, like, not that being disabled is, but the mistreatment of disabled people is an issue, but we educate people as to what disabilities actually are and why it's an issue to be mistreated because of that. Like, we've had enough awareness, autism awareness, everyone knows what autism is, most people know what Tourette's is, let's tell them what it actually is like, let's uplift disabled voices. And let's tell them that we aren't raising awareness for a problem that is autism. We are raising awareness for the fact that people with autism are mistreated. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I think, so I definitely agree with you. Um, because like in my school, for example, there are a lot of people that did joke about stuff like disabilities like autism, which is like extremely mm. insensitive. And from listening to that, you know that they obviously know what autism is and they've got on some level of information, but clearly they don't have an actual understanding of how it affects an individual and what is and isn't okay to say. Mm. Like awareness isn't enough. It has to be backed by education and action. Do you think that social media platforms such as TikTok support not only disabled creators, but also native creators? Well, seeing as they have openly admitted to censoring and not boosting 
uh, TikTok at least, not boosting disabled creators. No, they do a terrible job. Mm -hmm. I've been shadow banned for mentioning disabilities, and my videos, any videos about missing and murdered indigenous women's or nativeness are always, always do, not always, but like 99% of the time don't do as well as my other videos. It's not what people are interested in. For one, they want something to entertain them. A lot of people don't like being faced with the fact that there's stuff going wrong. <laughs> but also because the platform itself has admitted to censoring that type of content. So I don't think it does well. It's a good means to do it, certainly. <laughs> I wouldn't have ga gathered the following that I have now if it wasn't certainly a social media was certainly a good means to spread awareness. But I don't think the platforms themselves are doing much. In fact, they're actively, they are actively harming the cause. I'm just raising awareness despite the fact that TikTok as a platform is not good for disabled or black or indigenous or like any race other than white, you know? Would you say that both your heritage, religious beliefs and like disabilities play a large role in your identity? Absolutely. My big, I draw my identity mostly from my religious beliefs. I'm a devout Christian, you know, like that is my biggest part of my identity. But my disabilities have oh hi you're annoying <laughs> they have shaped my identity for sure absolutely um and so have has my heritage and my my just learning about myself it it is a huge part of my identity which is why especially like autism is a disorder that shapes your personality that's why a lot of people aren't like supportive of the person with autism because person with autism implies i'm with it it is something i can put down autistic person implies that it shapes the personality that is within the person that is a facet of that person and that's really how autism is what is the biggest life lesson that you've had so far life lesson what is my biggest life lesson yeah okay like if there's like one thing i had to say if there's like one thing yeah. i had to teach people I always say this is my whole, like, not my whole brand, but this is my biggest message that I try and preach, whether consciously or subconsciously. To be disabled does not equal to be miserable. A disabled life is not an inherently miserable one. It is one that is perfectly capable of being filled with joy, and that is what people don't realize. It is dehumanizing to think any other way. A lot of times people, oh, oh, they say, oh, I wish I had Tourette's because they are acknowledging the funny, quirky side of Tourette's, of a disability, but they are dismissing the side that makes it a disability. But a lot of people dismiss the joy that can be ha had in life with having a disability to only focus on how bad it can be in both, both things. But you can't, there's such a duality to a disabled life, to any life, that if you ignore the good parts and only focus on the bad, or ignore the bad parts and only focus on the good, it is dis dehumanizing. Disabled people aren't one-dimensional people. We aren't sob stories. We aren't comedy stories. We are lives. So to be disabled does not equal to be miserable. That is my biggest message, because that's such a huge stereotype. I get, oh, you, I'll say, oh, I have Tourette's. I was once prayed over when I told somebody I had Tourette's without me asking them to. Because they assumed I was miserable. Because it's And I don't blame her because it's so ingrained. So that's my one thing I try and preach. To be disabled does not equal to be miserable inherently. There is a duality to a disabled life just like there is to any life and that needs to be acknowledged. Thank you for being so open. Of course. Well, that is the end of our questions.
and we're just getting started on our podcast <laughs> but we really hope we can at some point get as outspoken <laughs> as you are and yeah I'm sure you're making a huge positive change and I think it's what yeah it's what everyone should do speak their mind it's it's in like like I said like how it's like um autism is a part of my identity part of me being so open I think is because of my autism because I don't have that social rule in my head that you have to be secretive about yourself that there's some things that are private and some things that aren't everything's like nothing's off limits with me (laughs) I will talk about basically anything you know I'm a very open person and I hope that I'm able to like inspire other people to be open because from what people have told me, my openness has helped a lot of people. That's what I've been told. And so I'm just hoping it, I, other people can be open because of it. So I'm very glad that I'm able to help. Once again, great. Good luck on starting your podcast. It's really exciting. 